I think a lot of us have, tend to have a romanticized view of the church, the early church. You know, I hear people say, man, if we could just be like the early church. And I want to say, have you read the New Testament? <laughs> have, you, have you seen what these people are dealing with and the stuff there that's going on there? I mean, honestly, some of the things that they're dealing with make our stuff look kind of bland. And it's because of the problems of the early church that virtually all of the, of the New Testament's been written. And certainly, most all of the letters of Paul are written to address issues and problems that are taking place in specific churches. Ephesians is a little bit different. It says in, in uh, verse uh, 1 that it's to the saints in Ephesus. But the words in Ephesus are not in many of the early manuscripts. And there is a, a growing consensus among scholars that probably this isn't a letter that was addressed specifically just to that one church. More than likely, it was a, a cyclical letter that was sent to all of the churches in Asia Minor. Many of, those, of these churches Paul either founded or visited at some point in his missionary journeys. It's also interesting to me that Paul is writing from prison. And, and more than likely from Rome in the latter days of his life. And you, you, you get a sense that, that as Paul writes this letter, it's some of the last things he's going to say. And you know how it is when, when you're at that point in life and it's last things. The, the things you want to talk about, things that are of vital importance. And you want to write things that are of vital importance. And I suspect this is what Paul is doing. And he, he's gotten enough reports from the churches in Asia Minor... That he realizes there are some issues that just in general the church needs to hear about. And so he writes this letter. And it's a letter that focuses on Christ and on Christ's church. And in some ways it, it actually may be a bit more uh, connected to us in the 21st century. Knowing that it isn't addressing one particular church having one particular problem but a general sense of what the church should be and what God's people look like when they're doing and being what God intended them to do and be. There are commands in this letter that uh, we need to follow. There are issues in the letter that need to be addressed. But all of that stuff comes later, and all of those things are, are really, in, in a sense, somewhat meaningless if we miss what Paul says right at the very beginning. Right at the beginning, Paul lays the foundation for the church. He lays the foundation for what it means to be God's people and those foundational things that God's people need to know. And chapter 1, sort of outline, lays out that foundational stone. It's such a rich passage that you could spend weeks and weeks and weeks studying and looking at, at just the first chapter of Ephesians. So, the language and all the things that Paul says. But I think you can boil it down, in a sense, to one statement. That God created people to know the fullness of his blessing. God created us to know the fullness of his blessing. Now, you, when you read the, the first section of this, it, it makes a few people nervous. 
Wesleyans in particular, I would say. Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Verse 5, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of God who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And we, you know, we tend to get a little nervous when we read predestined and chosen. It's not a part of our theological framework. And yet, the, the concept of election is all throughout the scriptures. And, and like most of these kinds of things, there is a mystery surrounding it that we will never fully get our hands around. But I do think that, that there is something here that, that is important for us to understand. I don't think that Paul is writing this with the intention of excluding people. I think actually it's the exact opposite. Election is not God's plan for shutting out people. It's actually God's plan for calling all people into his glorious inheritance. Now, you remember, Paul is writing to Gentiles. And he's trying to help them understand that they are as much a part of God's kingdom and they are as much God's people as the Jews are. And throughout the the history of of the Jewish people, they they are God's chosen people and they're right. And, and you get a sense when you, when you hear the history repeated of God rescued us from Egypt and God brought us across the Red Sea and God opened up the Jordan River and God brought us in the land of Canaan. You get a sense that echoing behind every one of those statements is he did this for us and not for you. And there is an exclusiveness to what it means to be elect, what it means to be the chosen ones of God. And in one sense, Paul, I don't think, is disputing that. Certainly the Jews were chosen by God. But the purpose is what gets confused. Paul is telling these Gentiles that God's election is not intended to exclude them. That's a misunderstanding of God's plan. God's plan is to include everyone, including Gentiles, into his kingdom. God chooses the Jews not in order to make them sort of an exclusive club. He chooses them... And so that he can fill them and then all the other nations around them can look at them and say, wow, that's what we want to be. We want to come and worship your God too. And because of their openness to God and what God does for them as a people, it attracts all the other nations to come to Yahweh as well. Tim Gombas says that in the logic of Ephesians, the two groups of people are not the saved and the damned, the in and the out. The two groups are those whom God is transforming by his love and those to whom the first group is sent in order to embody God's love. But the bottom line for Paul is that this is not a word of exclusion. It is not a word to to try to make people think that God doesn't want them. It's exactly the opposite. He's saying, that's why God created you. That's why God made you. So that you would experience the fullness of his blessing in your life individually and corporately as a gathering of God's people. He created you so that you could know all the fullness of who God is. And that doesn't mean that we never experience problems or difficulties, that we never have... Uh, issues that we deal with in this world. But God's plan is that we would be overwhelmed with 
his peace and his love and his mercy and his grace. And sometimes we think, well, I, okay, I, I see that. And, and Paul tells us that the evidence of that is, is the cross and what God is willing to do in Christ to, to prove his love to us and to express his love to us. But, but sometimes I think there is a sense of, well, that was plan B. You know, that really wasn't God's intention from the beginning. And, and you know, because things didn't turn out the way God wanted, he's had to change the script a little bit. But it's not true. This has always been God's plan. This has always been God's desire that all people are created to be in relationship with him and to know his blessing. I love the way the New Living Translation has verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. And I'm not sure we always recognize that. I'm not sure we recognize that that not only does God want to bless us, but he finds great pleasure in us experiencing the fullness of who he is and the fullness of his blessing. He wants us to be so connected to him that we get all of him. The problem is we, as life comes at us, as difficulties arise, as struggles come, we have a tendency to think that that's not really God's plan. And we begin to doubt God. And the moment you begin to doubt God's intentions, then the only thing you're left with is to try to manipulate God, trying to trick God, trying to convince God, trying to do enough good things so that God might throw you a bone. And all the while God is saying, I want to give this to you. I've got so much blessing to pour out upon you if you just let me. It's hard for us because, you know, life and, and sin gets in the way. And, and we wrestle with it. And, and we, we get our own ideas of what, what real blessing is about. And we think, wow, if we could just have this, that would be so awesome. What we don't realize is that our views of blessing are about this big. And God's views are this big. But we're so willing to settle for this. I, I have a confession to make to you. I like to watch the Food Network. Now, don't get me wrong. I still watch ESPN. You know, I, I still watch, you know, the real life dramas like Law and Order and things like that. But, I, you know, I, I like watching the Food Network. And I particularly like the, uh, the competition shows, um, the food competition shows. One of, one of our favorites is the show Chopped. Some of you may have seen the show Chopped. You know, they, they, bring, out, they bring four chefs into the studio and they each have a station where they work and they have this basket in front of them. They have no idea what's in the basket. And there's all kinds of crazy stuff in that basket. You know, they, they, you know I've seen them put eels in there and snakes. and I mean, they put things in there most of the time I've never even heard of before. Uh, vegetables or whatever, fish and different things. And, they all, and then they always throw in something that doesn't make any sense. You know, they'll have tuna and they'll have uh, garlic and they'll have... Uh, some kind of cabbage, and they throw in a box of frosted mini-wheats or corn nuts or something like that, you know. And these people have 20 minutes to create a dish. And they start out, all four of them do an appetizer. The judges look at the dishes, they taste them, 
and they, they chop one of them and say, you lost, they're done on the show. The next three do the, the entree, one of them loses, they're chopped, and you're down to dessert, and there's two people, and the winner gets $10,000. So they want to cook. That's, you know, it's a good, pretty good price. I was watching that not too long ago, and, well, actually, you know, I, I, they talk a lot on the show about, the, the judges talk about the food in ways that I would never have thought of before. And they talk sometimes about that this dish is, this food is really sexy. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> really? Seriously? What is that? Or, or that, you know, this is whimsical. You often hear that one from them. What a whimsical dish this is. I don't know what that means either, but it, maybe it's laughing. I don't know. But they also talk about the personality of the chef. You know, they see the personality of the chef in this dish. And I was watching not too long ago, and one of the chefs was down. It was down to the dessert round, uh, two of them. And the one chef had made some kind of a dessert taco type of thing. I don't remember exactly what was in it, but it was a dessert taco. And the dish was sitting there, and the judges were tasting it and talking with them about it. And they said, so, you know, what do you think about this dish? And he said, well, I have to tell you, my identity is wrapped up in that little taco. And I know what he meant. You know, I get that. But it just hit me. Wow, that is so true of us. Because every one of us could say, at some point or another, my identity is wrapped up in that grade, or in that title, or in that book, or in that relationship, or in that sermon. You know, our, our identities get wrapped up in these things. And I understand that's okay. It helps us to be creative. We work with things. We care about things. But at some point, that becomes detrimental to us. Because the truth is, our identity can only be in Christ to be positive. And ultimately, that's what we're talking about here. Is God says, you know, your identity needs to be in me because I want to pour out blessing on you if you'll just let me do that. But we're so willing to settle for all these other things that we do and think, okay, this is what life is about. And, and God is up there going, but I've got so much more than that. I mean, you can have that too, but I've got so much more that I want to give you. He wants to pour out blessing upon us. And it's hard for us. It's hard for these people too. That's why Paul writes in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. I'm praying that God will open your eyes so that you'll be able to see all these things that I want to do for you and the relationship I want to pour out upon you and the love and grace and mercy that I want to fill your life with. I want to give it to you. I want to make it yours. That is God's plan for us. And the, and, and, and he's, the only thing we need to pray is, Lord, open my eyes to see so that I can receive it. And he does this, he offers this to us, not just as individuals, but as a church. You know, churches have self-esteem and identity issues as well. And as Paul writes to each one of these churches, he's writing to us. And saying, I have so much more I want to pour out upon you if you'll let me. If you'll release these things that you're clinging to. If you'll let go of thinking that your primary identity is in the stuff that you do. And just let me pour out blessing on you. 
Let me change you. Let me transform you. Let me make you into the holy and blameless and righteous people that I created you to be. I want to do this for you. And I want you to know me in a way that up to this point, you couldn't have imagined knowing me. That is God's plan for us. And it is an amazing, awesome plan if we'll just receive it. But Paul makes it clear that all of this is possible only in Christ. The phrase in Christ is used 34 times in this short letter. And he's saying to us, the grace that I give you is in Christ. And the power I want to bestow upon you is in Christ. And the blessing is in Christ. And everything about your life is in Christ. Everything that God wants to do for us is in Christ. It's not in us. It's not in our efforts. It's not in in the things that we try to do. It's in Christ. And Christ, it is in Christ who went to the cross for us. It's in Christ who rose from the dead in power. It's in Christ who has ascended to be with the Father. It's in Christ who sits on that eternal throne and rules everything. It's in Christ. And when we worry about giving up our identity, we worry about about giving up what we think is a great plan for our lives. Remember, what God wants for us is in Christ. And so much more, so much bigger, so much greater, so much deeper, so much more. I suspect that most of us know that. You know, if we took a poll, probably the great majority of us would say, yeah, I, I, I know God loves us. I know God wants a relationship with us. I know God does, gives blessing to us. We know that here. We don't know it here. We don't embrace it. We're not passionate about it and living it and, and, and willing to, to rearrange our lives and open our lives so that God can do that for us. And too often, it just sort of sits there. I've been having some trouble lately with my knees. It's probably too much diving and sliding, playing baseball when I was young and all those other kinds of things. But, you know, it's sometimes hard for me to get up out of a chair. I have to you know, hobble about 10 or 15 steps. And, and some of you understand that, uh, you know, before I can walk again. And, you know, and so I went to the doctor and he checked it out. He's bending my leg all over the place. And he kept saying, does that hurt? And I'm thinking, if you keep doing that, it's going to hurt. Yes, yeah, something's going to happen there. You know, and, and he took some x-rays and he said, I think the problem is your kneecap is floating around. And so we need to strengthen up the muscles in your legs that hold on to that. So why don't you do some therapy? So I've been going to physical therapy and, and the guy, you know, again, he's wrenching my legs all around and putting me through the paces of that. And then he, he, one, the first time I went, he put some cream on my knee, around my kneecap, and, and he began to rub it with a little um, machine instrument thing. And so I've been saying, what are you doing there? What is that about? And he said, well, it's this cream is anti-inflammatory cream. And this is a ultrasound unit, and it, it, I'm working the cream. And he said, this cream is, is designed to, to get under your skin. It, gets, it goes through your skin so that it, it actually connects with the tissue underneath there, the ligaments and tendons and things. And helps to reduce the inflammation. I said, okay, I've never heard of that before. 
And I was lying there on the stretcher as he was going through that with me. And it just hit me as I was thinking about this passage. I think that's how a lot of us are about God's love and grace upon us. It just sort of sits there. You know, and, and God wants to take that ultrasound unit and rub it around on what we know so that it gets into us. And it begins to penetrate into our lives. And it begins to change how we think and feel. And it begins to change who we are. Because now we begin living as children of God. Children of God. That in Christ, we have been created to experience the blessings that God wants to pour out upon each of us. And he's simply saying, just let me do it. Just let me pour out my blessings upon you. I'm getting ready to come to this table this morning and receive the sacrament of communion. And I believe that God speaks to us as we receive the sacrament. And my prayer, like Paul's prayer, is that we will individually and corporately have our eyes eyes of our hearts opened that as we eat the bread we will have a new sense of God's grace and love and blessing that he created every one of us to experience Holy Father thank you for your love to us in Christ for your grace and mercy poured out upon us and that you created us to know the fullness of your blessing. We pray that you will pour out your abundant grace and blessing upon the bread and the cup, that it will be food for our souls, that we will know in a new way your plans for us and your desires for us, why you created us. Give us grace to live in the joy and the peace and the mercy and the love of the fullness of your blessing. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen.